Hello and welcome to the Mountain Conversations podcast, the show that celebrates the beautiful planet we call home. Each episode, alongside an expert who is passionate about their subject, we will take you on a journey to get you excited about the topic. This is a show about hope and positivity, and it's my hope that by learning something new each episode about the work of amazing people who dedicate their lives to making a difference, you will be inspired to take action and get involved in the efforts to preserve our beautiful home, planet Earth. I'm Charlie, and this is Mountain Conversations. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mountain Conversations podcast, again from the Kendall Mountain Festival. Probably a little bit loud because we're sat in the green room at the minute and there's quite a few meetings going on in the background, but it all adds to the atmosphere. I am here with author uh, Lee Schofield. Hi Lee. Hello, how are you doing? Thank you for joining me. I know everyone's here, there and everywhere this weekend. It's just a bit mad, isn't it? It's quite busy. So much going on. Enjoying it so far though? It's amazing. It's the first time I've been here and it's just, yeah, such a buzz about it. It's such a great programme. Sounds like an advert, but it's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. No, it's brilliant, brilliant place. It kind of is an advert though, because I'd I yes. love more people to know about this and sort of come and, like I've just said to you, I was hesitant to come because I thought it was just going to be elite climbers and, you know, people that have been up Everest and K2 50 times, yeah. but it's not, it's it's completely inclusive. The literature, literature element of it is and is pretty self-contained actually yeah. within it, so even if you ignore all the kind of the, yeah. the rock climbing, canoeing stuff, it's it's yeah. well worth coming just for that. Absolutely, yeah, and there's such a huge programme of stuff, including, yeah. you know, talking about your book, but I don't want to talk about your books, okay. which is, I know I've come to a lit- literary festival and I'm not talking about the book, but I am super passionate about accessibility to nature and getting people in nature and talking about people's journeys into nature so I'd yeah. love to know is nature something that's always been part of your life or is it a new sort of a newish thing yeah no it always has been I mean I was I, I was really lucky to have grown up in a really beautiful part of the world in the middle of Devon um, you know we didn't we didn't have loads of money but um, you know it was definitely a privileged upbringing just being surrounded by by nature um, you know there were grass snakes and slow worms in the compost heap um, we had these amazing kind of towering Devon hedgerows, which were full of, uh, you know, wild strawberries that we could pick on the walk home from the school bus. So it was all pretty idyllic, really, and, and a small hamlet at the end of a very narrow road. So we had a really kind of free range childhood. And I think we know all that stuff about how the, the um, you know, the home range of kids has been contracting over time. Yeah. Um, you know, I was pretty lucky to have a have a have a have a pretty wide um, stomping ground, really. And I think I just took it all for granted. Um until I kind of moved away really went to university near London and just kind of then clocked it's like okay nature isn't isn't actually in everybody's lives I really was very privileged to have that and I think that was a big part of what drove me into a career in in sort of ecology to choose a degree in zoology um, to really try to kind of protect the natural environment as much as I could as much for for my benefit as for everybody else's who who relies on a healthy healthy world so um, so yeah I you know I recognize that that I had I had advantages that not everybody has had but I'm re- really passionate like you about helping people to connect in any way they can now yeah. really I think that's it isn't it and I think it's such a common story people having a sort of nature you know immersed childhood and then coming away from it and only then realizing yeah sort of what what you had I know myself I, I was we lived quite rural all over you know I lived in rural Yorkshire and then in France for a few years when I was a teenager and I completely 
took it completely for granted and yeah. it's only now quite recently I've come sort of back into it and realised what I've got um, this is my first time in the Lake District is it really? I know shocking I know it is isn't it <laughs> so what brought you to the Lake District? Um, my wife is from here okay. um, so we moved up to be closer to her family when our kids were born but we'd always we'd always kind of had our eye on getting back up here um, you know she spent her whole childhood here and it's yeah, I mean, growing up in Devon, it's a beautiful place, but it is quite busy. Um, yeah. We were really drawn to the, the kind of the wide open spaces yeah. um, and the sort of the sense of wildness. And I think my perceptions of the place have changed significantly. You know, when we used to drive up from visiting my parents or whatever down south up, up, up the M6 and that you know spectacular kind of opening in the T-Bay Gorge, I used to think, oh, that was you know that was coming to this really amazing special place. And those those mountains were a real kind of um, beacon. Of, of, of something that we look forward to and, and I kind of as my ecological understanding has grown I kind of look at those hills now in a really different way mm-hmm. because they are pretty knackered frankly you know they are they've been seriously overgrazed for a very long time and they they could be so much richer um, and they would be no less spectacular for it so so Cumbria is it's a beautiful place to live it's a wonderful place to live but it's got it, some really major ecological issues and you know I'm really fortunate with my job at Horsewater that we're, we're we're getting to try to kind of wrestle with those and try and maybe find some solutions that, that might be applicable in other places too. I think that's something that will come as a surprise to quite a lot of people I mean mm. they, they you know you walk around the fells and the mountains of the Lake District and it is stunning scenery yeah, yeah. but what people don't see is I guess what it what it looks like now is a result of our sort of anthropogenic effect. Yeah. So I know you, you're you're through your job now. You're sort of working to sort of counter that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, on our patch and yeah. and you know trying to find potential kind of solutions how we can get sustainable farming working alongside ecological restoration but you know what we're being really careful not to do is to suggest that we have got all the answers and that, that you know we are demonstrating the way to do this because every single valley every single farm is different has had a different history has got different people working on it and actually we need to kind of share all of our ideas and, and kind of pick the things that work for us yeah. um, so it's yeah I am it's a, it's, a, it's a really really exciting job that I have um, I'm, I, I love it you know but it has had its challenges as well you know yeah. moving up to a place like this you know being a southerner in the north is actually quite hard work I was born in Scotland but you know yeah. that doesn't that doesn't count for anything <laughs> if you haven't got the accent um, you know if you haven't got generations of people living in the same place you, you know you're quite often considered a bit of a bit of a second-class citizen and that can be that can be quite hard to work through and it's taken me you know 10 years of being here 12 years of being here actually because I had a job for Cumbria Wildlife Trust before to um, kind of build a sense of community with the other people that are doing similar jobs to me in order to kind of balance out that feeling of being a bit of an odd one out Incomer, I yeah guess. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough that and I think it's pretty ubiquitous in, in a lot of rural areas yeah. actually so is that something you've had to really work on sort of with the farmers and stuff and trying to build those relationships with them yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I don't I don't kind of waste my energy on people that are so entrenched in their views that they're not going to come around. There's no point. Um, but you know, you recognise you, you quite quickly learn to recognise who is who is open to discussion, who is open to new ideas and things. And those are the people that it's really worthwhile kind of spending time with or building relationships with. Um, I mean, James Rebanks. Um, his kids are at the same school as mine, okay. so that kind of opens a conversation, yeah, and we've got to know each other pretty well over the last few years. 
um, and he's right up there at the kind of the really leading edge of sort of progressive farming in the in the lakes. Yeah. So yeah, finding people like that, and he's you know he's not alone. There are there are a growing community of, of very nature and climate friendly farmers around that are really innovating, and yeah. and it's quite exciting to to be chatting with them and hearing how fired up they are about. It is, and I think it's just a case of listening to each other. Yeah. Not just hearing one side and yeah, yeah. sort of going in all guns blazing, I suppose. Um, can you? I know it's quite hard to sort of paint a verbal picture, but if your sort of vision through what you're doing on your patch, as you say, what what would it look like in in an ideal world in sort of ten years time, twenty years time, fifty years time? What's I know yeah. it's a hard question, but yeah, no, well, I know I've thought about this a lot because change is is tough. You know, as, you, as we were saying before, you know, people have this idea that the Lake District National Park. Uh, is, is, is perfect you know it's visited by 20 million people a year so why change it yeah, exactly yeah. so when you start to say well oh, it's kind of you know not quite as rich as it could be you can put people's backs up really quickly so trying to communicate how to go about change and what that change might result in is a big big focus for me and you know it's a big theme of the book and it's a big part of how we communicate what we're doing at Horsewater um, and we've got we've, we've commissioned um, some sort of visualizations that kind of give that future artist impression and there's a film that you can find on the our Wild Horsewater website um, which which kind of narrates what that change is going to be but yeah to try and put it in a, in a nutshell it's it's you know the, the critical thing I think for people worried about change is it's still going to be recognizably the same rugged you know soaring fells winding rivers deep glacial lakes that stuff's not going to change yeah. you know that is of course, yeah. that is that is the underlying strata um, but the things that are going to change are, uh, is the vegetation structure the the, the, the composition of the yeah. things that you're walking through yeah. um, you know it will be it will be rougher and more tussocky yeah. and um, probably harder to walk through actually and, and more adventure yeah more adventure yeah. Um, <laughs> There'll be more trees, there'll be more insect life, there'll be more bird song. Crucially, I think it will still very much be a, a, a peopled landscape. You know, even if we are farming less intensively, even if we are, um, you know, trying to work with nature, with ecological processes, that's still going to involve people, you know, the people planting the trees, the people managing the livestock, keeping the dry stone walls up. And I think that's absolutely crucial. There's this, there's this perception that any shift away from the status quo will mean a collapse in the rural economy, that the schools will close, the pubs will close, all that kind of stuff. And actually, you know, we've shown, you know, when we started, we had three full-time members of staff and a farming contractor. We've now got 12 full-time members of staff. And we bring in a hell of a lot of money that gets spent with local suppliers and all that kind of stuff. So, so my vision of the future is, is one that is, is richer, wilder, wilder, ecologically more functional, but crucially, it's still a peopled landscape where people people are sustained and the rural economy continues to thrive. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to communicate this message of sort of inclusivity and it's for everybody. You're not trying yeah. to change it to sort of shut it off to people. You're trying to, yeah. as you say, make it richer. Yeah. Yeah. Open it up to more potential almost. And and, and it, the, the countryside isn't, certainly this part of the countryside, it's, it, it's not often that inclusive a place you know um it's hard to get here if you haven't got your own car um you know the farming to, to move up into this area you know we were accused of not being authentic by the national parks um sort of world heritage steering group you know so they worry about the fact that there's not enough new entrants coming into farming we need new thinking fresh blood first generation farmers first generation land managers and to just try to say that it's only the kind of the people that have been here forever that are allowed to carry on doing yeah. it it's like well that's that's not sustainable is it it's not how it works no no. <laughs> no definitely not so i mean to come away from that slightly and to talk about sort of 
visiting the Lake District as a whole and stuff. For people who perhaps, as we're talking about, you know, it's not that accessible, not that inclusive, how can we start to combat that? I really, I really don't know. Um, it's really difficult, and I get asked this question an awful lot. And I think what we need, the only answer that I can really come up with is that we need to not be focused just on these kind of honeypots um you know national parks are great they are you know the most visually spectacular places but there's an awful lot of the rest of the countryside which is totally beautiful um but is nothing like as accessible um so i think that that campaign to make the countryside more accessible whether it's going as far as the kind of the you know fully open access like they have in scotland i don't know um but i think that would help to distribute the the, the sort of the tourism benefits mm-hmm. more evenly across the country. Yeah. Um, it would reduce the the massive pressure that there is on the the kind of the infrastructure and the the, the quite vulnerable small communities in places like the Lake District. Yeah. So yes, we need to work out how we can get people in to the Lake District better, but we also need to look at at just kind of spreading um, that that sort of desire and and. and keenness to access the countryside much more widely than just our national parks absolutely so a right to roam almost yeah yeah and there is obviously (laughs) there is a growing campaign around that um and it does come with some risks um you know wildlife can suffer from disturbance so i think if we go into that we have to do it in an intelligent way and make sure that there are places where wildlife still gets the place to itself um, but I think I think there is room to do that um, and, and be yeah make the countryside much more equitable. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think at a time when it's so critical that we ensure that more people are falling in love with nature, yeah. I think opening up nature is so important. But yeah. as a, as you say, it's such a difficult question to sort of work out how in a way that benefits everybody. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's like, really challenging. Yeah, it's it's a constant. I'm constantly thinking about it. Like, what would be the best way? Because as you say, you know, if you think if you open everything up, then you, you, the vulnerable species are suddenly, you know, that were protected and now not protected, yeah. and it's it's that balance. Yeah. So Guy Shrubsoul, Amy Jane Beer, and, and a whole bunch of. Um, you know really smart people are really thinking about this and you know they're not saying it's it's uh, you know open season everybody can go wherever they want so I think I think we can get this right but we definitely definitely need reform because what we've got at the moment just isn't fair really. No absolutely not. So I'll let you go in a second because I know we're here there and everywhere but I just I always ask all my guests that because I'm so passionate about accessibility to nature and inclusivity if there's someone listening to this perhaps who maybe feels that nature isn't for them Mm. or you know visiting someone like this isn't for them how could you encourage that and getting people more people involved and loving nature yeah i think you know nature fundamentally is for everybody we are part of nature you know we rely on it entirely for our food production for the cleaning of our water and our air and all those things so whether we whether we recognize that or not like can't deny the fact that we need nature um I think that the, the sort of the tip that I would get is, is just that, that I would make is really just to start paying attention. So even as you're walking down an urban street, you know, there are going to be a few wildflowers growing out of the cracks here and there. And the thing that kind of opens the door for me is, is, is once you learn the name of one wildflower and you learn to recognize it, then all of the other things that aren't that, you kind of think, well, what makes that different from that one and, and why is that one growing there and, and not there? And it just opens up this whole kind of world of, of, of questioning. And there's so many ways to do that. You know, not everybody can go and buy a fancy wildflower guide, but, you know, local wildlife trusts are forever offering free guided walks and things. 
you know, there's loads of ways that you can, you can, you know, if you know somebody who's into it, just just take a casual walk with them, and maybe they'll show you, you know, how to tell a bluebell from a harebell or or whatever. And and I think you know, once you start to lose that plant blindness and I think plants are a really good place to start because they don't tend to fly away and you can you know you can get nice photos of them and put them on Instagram or whatever you yeah, want to do um, it just yeah it just opens opens your eyes to a kind of whole world of, of, of wonder really it's funny you say that because I feel like that about birds right. birds for me were my gateway back to nature um, flowers are useless because I try so hard because there's so many <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there'll only be so many in any given area, yeah. you know. Um, and if you, yeah, if you just learn one by one, it, it does start to grow quite quickly, I yeah. think. And it's such, I mean, you say about sort of na- the, not being able to afford the nature guides and stuff, but I think the use of technology and embracing technology oh, yeah, yeah. into your natural sort of curiosity and exploration is so important. I know I've got the, you know, all these apps on my phone, so when yeah. I'm out with the kids, I can scan something. It's not always 100%. They're pretty good, though, actually, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've found it struggling a bit with the fungi at the minute. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, fungi are so variable, even within within a species. Or it'll give me, like, the family. Yeah, but that gets you started, doesn't and then, it? And then, then you, you can, can go Google, and you, yeah. can, you can go away, and I think once, as you say, once you find one, you, it then your curiosity, your curiosity can't help. That's it. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. So brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Lee. Um, My pleasure. I, great it's to talk been to you. Great to talk to you, and um, I hope you have a great rest of the festival. Thank you. You too. Another great conversation from the Kendall Mountain Festival. Lee has such a connection with the Lake District and I could really feel that in our short conversation. He is deeply passionate about the landscape and it was a pleasure to learn more about his journey. Conversations like this have really opened my eyes to the work that is going on around the country to form connections between the local communities and the natural world that we depend on so heavily. Join me next time when I'll be having a chat with another author at the Kendall Mountain Festival about access to nature and hearing their thoughts on the right to roam. I'll end with a quote by John Muir, whose strong presence was felt at Kendall Mountain Festival. Into the forest I must go to lose my mind and find my soul. I'm Charlie and this has been Mountain Conversations. <laughs>